Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. I'm Liv, your resident nerd. Thanks for your patience with this episode. It's good and delayed, because I've been working on something super cool. The very awesome people over at Zirkel Magazine in Berlin have asked me to contribute some adapted myths to be included in their upcoming edition. You can find the magazine online at zqzaubert.de or Z-Q-Z-A-U-B-E-R-T dot D-E for you weirdo Americans, and you should be able to buy it there too when this edition comes out. The plan for that is October, and I'll absolutely be updating you guys as it gets closer too, and if they let me know whether it's on time or delayed, what have you. But for now, it was pretty fun, and I got to practice my skills in writing incredibly succinctly in order to adhere to their length limitations. If I've learned anything, it's that I'm a wordy, wordy writer. Now that that's done, though, and this episode is finally out, thank you again for your patience, you'll be able to look out for the first Myths Baby newsletter sometime very soon, along with the newest Patreon episode, where I will be discussing the movie The Clash of the Titans. And we're talking the more recent one here, because I just don't know how to handle the 80s one quite yet. The poll on Patreon was slightly in favor of the movie Troy instead, but then I quickly realized that was a stupid plan on my part because here I am making my way through the Trojan War and the Iliad, and I don't really want to have to jump ahead in my research just to cover the details in the movie. So instead, as soon as we're done with this endless, endless war, the very next Patreon episode will be on the movie Troy. And with that business out of the way... It's back to this war we've been embroiled in for oh so long. This is episode 37, The Iliad, part 9, Hera and Zeus's dysfunctional relationship. For the moment, we're leaving Patroclus and Achilles where they are. We're turning back to the battle itself and the Trojans who are steadily encroaching on the walls the Greeks have built around their camps. The Trojans, still led by Hector, charge at the Greek camps. 
There are some quarrels among them, some underestimating just how much Zeus wants the Trojans to win at the moment, and some just pointing out how many will die, even if Hector is given glory by Zeus. Again, the Iliad is nothing if not incredibly, incredibly detailed. One thing you're also missing out on by having me retell this story to you are the many, many rambling sentences that go on and on in order to describe the way something is happening. Endless metaphors and similes, and truly it's over the top. The Trojans reach the walls of the Greeks and begin to tear it down, but to no avail. Ajax comes to defend the Greeks, and he, in all his enormous strength, picks up a huge rock that we're told no man of today could lift. But Ajax, Ajax held it above his head and hurled it down onto another dude's head, which, ouch. The Greeks and the Trojans are evenly matched. When one side gains ground, so does the other. When one side has a particularly gruesome and violent kill, so does the other. Neither side is showing any likelihood of victory until... Zeus gives Hector the glory of being the first one to get inside the walls of the Greeks. He calls out to the other Trojans to follow him and to smash through the wall before lighting torches and burning the ships of the Greeks. Here now, Hector too grabs a huge rock, but in this case he can lift it because of Zeus's power, not because he's any bigger or any stronger than Ajax, because that's just crazy talk. No one is! Hector carries this rock to the doors of the walls of the Greeks, and with one throw, he knocks the doors off their hinges, and all the Trojans can enter the walls of the Greeks. Things are not looking good. Once Hector was through the walls and the armies were still fighting nonstop, with the Trojans now able to break through toward the Greek ships, this is when Zeus decides he's gotten a little bored and will no longer watch the war between the two groups. He leaves the armies there to anguish and turns his eyes away from the battle. He knows that things are safe. He's made it perfectly clear to the other gods that they aren't to insert themselves into the fray anymore. Though he had made that perfectly clear to most of the gods, but there was one who was more than willing to anger his brother if it meant he could help the Greeks. Poseidon has been watching from Samothrace, and he is really feeling for the Greeks as they're being endlessly defeated by the Trojans. Plus, he's not psyched that Zeus got to include himself in the war and decided who would win. Poseidon wants that power too. So now that Zeus is, for the time being, not watching what's happening on Earth, Poseidon decides to shake things up. Lord knows this story is just a series of back and forths between the Greeks and the Trojans. No one group can be in the lead for any significant amount of time. So Poseidon, Earth shaker that he is, cheers on the Greeks in the form of Calchas, the seer that had been helping them from the beginning. Poseidon transforms himself into Calchas and goes amongst the Greeks to encourage them to keep fighting and to stay strong. He talks to the two Ajaxes, and after a rousing speech, he taps them with a staff he seems to carry and fills them with power. Of course, I want to picture this as a trident, Little Mermaid style, but it's not clear. He continues, stirring up all the Greeks to fill them with motivation and the will to succeed against the Trojans, even in the face of their not-great-odds at the moment. 
But it's amazing what the encouraging words from a god can do, because after Poseidon goes through and hypes up all the Greeks, their courage grows like crazy, and they all band together around the Ajaxes and prepare to fight off the Trojans by whatever means necessary. Meanwhile, the Trojans charge at the Greeks, with Hector still leading the pack. The two sides fight. There's pages and pages of this battle, but honestly, there are just too many names and too many minor details, including family lineage of a good dozen people. It's too much, Homer. So they fight. They fight and they fight and they fight. There are deaths on both sides and injuries and insults and endless, endless conversation between the Greeks and the Trojans as they seemingly converse whilst killing each other. That's just Homer for you. At this point, given Poseidon's intrusion, it's God against God, brother against brother, Zeus fighting Poseidon for the lives of either side. And when it becomes God fighting God, it's the humans who suffer. The gods don't care about the individuals. Zeus wants the Trojans to succeed, at least for another while, due to how badly he felt that Achilles was treated and how much Achilles' mom, Thetis, has implored Zeus to cause harm for the Greeks. And Poseidon wants the Greeks to win because he feels sorry for them with Zeus against them but it's really about a little brotherly infighting. The gods pull at either side, and the battle goes back and forth and back and forth. Finally, back at the Greek camp, Nestor meets with the injured Greek kings, Agamemnon, Diomedes, and my main man, Odysseus. Nestor has been watching from afar. You remember Nestor is old and likes to emphasize this, like, all the time. And he's got some words. Nestor points out to the others that the Trojans really are gaining on them. They thought the wall would keep them back, but that's already failed, and the Trojans are fighting relentlessly to get to the Greek ships. It isn't going well for the Greeks, even with the help of Poseidon, because Poseidon appears to the Greeks as various human Greek characters, but everyone seems to always know when they're talking to a god anyway. To this, Agamemnon readily points out that he's noticed the same, But he finally suggests that that night, in the dark, they should drag the rest of their ships to the water and keep them ready. He says that there's no shame in running away from disaster, even under the cover of night. Better to run than be killed, he says. Odysseus, hero of heroes, thinks this is the most cowardly thing to propose, and I don't think he's wrong. Running away in the dead of the night? Yeah, that's super fucking valiant, Agamemnon. Odysseus tells Agamemnon that if he's so spineless, he should be commanding an equally spineless army, not this one full of brave and badass Greeks. Odysseus goes so far as to legitimately ask Agamemnon if he's lost his mind, which serves to promptly force Agamemnon back into reality. Oops, there goes gravity. He agrees with Odysseus, and they decide that they won't be running away. They'll stand and fight. Which, I mean, it's been ten fucking years. You're really considering just piecing out after all this time? I mean, what do you even have to go back to? We'll have the answer to that soon enough, but now is not the time. After Agamemnon has conceded that it really was a stupid plan, Diomedes takes over, proposing a plan for heading back to the battle, even for those that are wounded. Of course, Poseidon is still watching all of this, firmly on the side of the Greeks and against the machinations of his brother, Zeus. Poseidon returns to the Greeks, this time in the form of an old man. And he goes to talk to Agamemnon this time, 
The purpose of this is essentially just to badmouth Achilles. Poseidon tells Agamemnon that Achilles must be really loving this, watching all the slaughter. There's nothing human in him, Poseidon tells him. We're really anti-Achilles at this point. My mother's going to yell at me that I didn't pronounce it anti, like the good Canadian that I am. But I did say Z earlier, and Z just sounds wrong. So anyway, I digress. Having sufficiently bad-mouthed Achilles, Poseidon once again instills bravery and determination in the Greeks. It appears that, truly, all it takes to win a war is a rousing speech or two from an angry Olympian god. Meanwhile, there's another angry Olympian god reinserting herself in the mix. Hera is watching from Olympus, and she's thrilled that Poseidon is helping the Greeks, even after Zeus forbade them all from doing so. But more than that, Homer refers to Hera watching Poseidon, calling him her brother and brother-in-law. And I just think it's hilarious that the Greeks gave so few fucks that their gods were supremely incestuous. Like, no big, he's just her brother and her brother-in-law, the usual. So Hera watches her brother and brother-in-law as he rouses the Greeks, and she wants to help. She looks from Poseidon down on Earth with the Greeks over to Zeus as he hangs out on Mount Ida, just doing whatever it is gods do on mountains as they fuck with the lives of the humans down below. Hera sees Zeus, and she's angry all over again. She needs to help Poseidon as he helps the Greeks. It's not even about the Greeks so much as it is about fucking with Zeus. What a marriage. And speaking of their marriage, it's about to get a whole lot weirder. Hera wants to get even with her husband, and she knows that most of the power she has is in her sexuality. And also, she knows that her husband is an enormous perv, who's basically unconcerned with anything except who he can fuck at any given time. So she figures she'll use this to her advantage. Hera concludes that the best way for her to fuck over Zeus and help Poseidon and the Greeks is if she makes herself entirely irresistible, and then, after she and Zeus have sex, she'll make him fall asleep with the help of, yes, sleep. That's with a capital S. Hera wants to do this to Zeus so that Poseidon and the Greeks won't be interrupted by an angry Zeus who still wants the Greeks to suffer because he insulted Achilles and Achilles' mom got anger in his behalf. The drama. So Hera gets to work, making herself sexy as fuck. She has a nice bath, she rubs some olive oil and ambrosia on herself, you know, ancient moisturizer. She puts on earrings and a nice dress, she braids her hair, the whole shebang. But that's not quite enough. As much as Hera knows she's hot, she also knows she's going to need to be a major distraction for Zeus here, so her natural talents won't be quite enough. She also needs some magic in the mix. So she visits Aphrodite. Hera heads over to wherever it is that Aphrodite's hanging out on Mount Olympus, and she gets straight to the point. Hera asks Aphrodite if she'll help her, though she also immediately asks Aphrodite if maybe she's still too angry at Hera because she wants to help the Greeks, but Aphrodite wants to help the Trojans, and I mean, I just think that if you want someone's help, maybe don't remind them of why you were re they were recently mad at you. You pretend it's all good. Come on, Hera, you're more conniving than that. Aphrodite, though, agrees to help, even after Hera asked it in such a poor way. So Hera asks Aphrodite for something to make one irresistible. But see, still, 
Hera can't exactly tell Aphrodite why she needs to be irresistible, because as Hera just reminded Aphrodite, they're on opposite sides of the current fray. So instead, Hera makes up a lie. An intricate, detailed lie. Hera tells Aphrodite that she needs the desire because she's on her way to visit Oceanus and Tethys. Oceanus and Tethys are two titans, and apparently at this point they've been fighting for a while. Hera reminds us of this as she tells Aphrodite that Oceanus and Tethys have had a never-ending quarrel, and because of that, they haven't had sex in ages. Hera wants these folks to get laid. Aphrodite promptly agrees. This is a great use of her magic. How could she not? And so she gives Hera a sash, which she says holds all of her love magic. Hera should put it in between her breasts, Aphrodite tells her, because I guess that's the best place to keep your magic. Seems fair. Nowadays, it's a great place to keep a couple of bills, you know, if you need it. Very proud of herself, Hera takes the sash, places it neatly between her tits, and thanks Aphrodite. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Hera is on to the next stage of her plan. Now she needs to ensure that after they've fucked, Zeus will indeed fall asleep. She travels to Lemnos, where Sleep, the brother of death, lives. Sleep, or Hypnos, if we're giving him a real name and not just a word that describes him. Hera goes to Hypnos, and instead of lying to him like she did Aphrodite, she decides straight-up bribery should do the trick in this case. Hera tells Hypnos that if she makes Zeus fall asleep into a long, long slumber after they've had sex, then she'll have her son Hephaestus make him a magnificent throne with a nice little footstool and everything. It's hard to pass that up. Hmm, I don't know, Hypnos tells Hera. He explains that he really shouldn't do that, even for a nice throne. See, if it was to any other god, that would be fine. He'd totally do it for her, but he can't do it to Zeus. Hypnos tells Hera that there was another time when he tried to help someone out and make Zeus fall asleep. But when he woke up and found out what Hypnos had done, he fucking lost it. 
Zeus was throwing gods around and generally just losing his shit. So Hypnos tells Hera he learned his lesson and that's just not going to happen again. But then Hera instead offers him one of the graces to be his wife. And obviously that's a totally different story. What? You'll give me a woman who doesn't know me and you'll force her to marry me? Deal. What a bargain, Hypnos thinks, and he jumps around giddily. He gets to marry one of the graces. Who cares if she has no interest? That's of no concern to him. So Hypnos has agreed to help Hera, and they fly off together toward Mount Ida, where Hera knows Zeus has been hanging out lately. Before they reach Zeus, Hypnos splits off and he flies into the tallest tree where he disguised himself as a bird that we're told, quote, the gods call a bronze throat, but men's name for it is hawk owl. Pointless information, Homer. Just pointless. And there he perches in the tree to watch them fuck like a real weirdo. Hera continues on to find her husband. When she finds him, he's so taken with her that he's filled with a desire that rivals even when they were first lovers and had to hide from their parents. Of course, parents here isn't used to describe two sets of parents, but of course the same set of parents, because they are brother and sister, which is something I feel I should remind us all every once in a while. So this brother and sister meet up, and Zeus is immediately all over her, and truly horny as fuck. He asks her why she's there, why isn't she on Mount Olympus? And Hera tells him the same story she told Aphrodite, that she's on her way to Oceanus and Tethys to convince them to have sex. Totally normal errand for the gods, apparently, because exactly zero of them question why Hera is concerned with this, or why she might be in any position to convince them to stop fighting and instead have sex. These gods live weird lives. After explaining this as the general reason she's away from Olympus, though, Hera turns her attention to Zeus's ego. She tells him that the real reason she's there with him is that she wanted to make sure he wouldn't be angry with her when he found out where she was going and what she was doing. She bats her eyes and she puts on an air of, oh, woe is me, I'm a tiny little woman who needs her husband's approval before she does things. Zeus falls for it all. He tells Hera that she can go to Oceanus and Tethys later, because right now, they need to get it on. Or in this translation, be joined in pleasure. Zeus proceeds to tell Hera just how into her he is in this moment. Never before has he felt so much desire for a woman, he tells her. And he should have stopped his speech there. Simple, succinct, and flattering. But he doesn't. Never before has he felt so much desire for a woman, he tells her. Not with Ixion's wife, or with Acrisius's daughter, Danny, or with Phoenix's daughter, Europa, or with Semele, or Alcmene. Not with Demeter or Leto has he felt so much desire for a woman. Not with any of these other women with whom he's cheated on Hera has he felt the desire he now feels for his wife whom he's cheated on countless countless times. It's not even like he named all the women there. Of course not. That's just a sampling to really make Hera feel special. Sometimes I wonder why so many of these women put up a fight with Zeus. I mean, with that charm? It's a wonder not every single one of them throws herself at him. How do they resist? Hera, of course, is 100% used to this type of behavior, and so she doesn't take 
any kind of offense to this information. She just powers through. We can't do it here, she feigns to Zeus. We're on top of a mountain. All the other gods will see us if we do it here. What a scandal it would be on Mount Olympus if we were caught. No, no, she tells him. There are lots of private rooms in our home on Mount Olympus. We should really go there. But Zeus is not into waiting. Look, Hera, he tells her, I promise no one will see us, not God or human. What do you say I cover you up in a big golden cloud? Is that good enough? Not even Helios can see through this big golden cloud, I swear. With another feigned sigh, as if she was really conceding here, Hera agrees. They go at it like rabbits, but rabbits wrapped up in a golden cloud. When they're finished, Zeus starts to doze off, and Hypnos makes it so that he's for sure dozed, and will be like that as long as possible, before Hypnos himself flies away from the mountain and down to the Greeks on the beaches of Troy, and there he finds Poseidon. Hypnos tells him to lead the Greeks to victory as quickly as possible. He explains that Hera has just seduced Zeus and that Hypnos has put him into a deep sleep. Amazing news! Poseidon exclaims, probably, though technically I'm putting words in his mouth. With this thrilling development, Poseidon doubles his efforts to help the Greeks. He's determined to make this count. He goes through all the assembled Greeks and once again gives them a nice, rousing speech, because as we've learned, this is vitally helpful in situations like this. Once again, this gave the Greeks a newfound motivation and bravery. Again, they're ready to go. The best warriors put on the best armor and the worst put on the worst, which is a new idea from Poseidon that frankly sounds kind of mean and like you're basically just giving a death sentence to the guys who maybe aren't as good as Ajax or Odysseus. And is that their fault? Did they deserve to die? I guess so, because that's what they're doing. Anyway, they suit themselves up, and this time Poseidon leads them into battle. He holds up his sword high and lets out a yell as all the Greeks bound towards the Trojans. It's not clear who Poseidon is currently disguised as, but since up to now he's had one disguise or another, I have to assume he has one here too. Everyone always seems to understand, though, that it's a god helping them, so it doesn't seem to make much difference except for everyone not bursting into flames when they see him. Bonus. The Greeks and the Trojans fight. Again. And again, this book is littered with names that seemingly have no purpose along with extensive stories detailing random guys' histories or why they're there or in that particular state. None of it really matters. And none of it would be interesting if I were to try to retell it. So just know, again, again, there are a lot of different dudes and a lot of gore and violence. But quickly, the Greeks take the upper hand. Having the help of Poseidon is absolutely making a difference, and things are really looking up. At one point, a Greek throws a spear at a Trojan, and it gets him in the eye. It's lodged deep in his skull when the Greek comes and slices off the guy's head. With the spear still in his eye and the helmet still on his severed head, the Greek grabs his spear and lifts the whole damn thing into the air with a taunt to the Trojans nearby. Super classy. 
The Trojans know they're in trouble now. Deep, deep trouble. They look around to each other. Everyone's searching for a way out of this mess they've found themselves in. Thank you all for listening as I continue with a seemingly endless run of the Iliad episodes. Honestly, guys, I did not intend to go into this much detail, but hey, it's what's happening, and so far none of you have bitched to me about it being boring and long, so we're keeping on. When I first started covering the Trojan War, there were a number of other mythology podcasts that completely coincidentally were also doing the Iliad. They're all very much done now, but granted, my episodes are infrequent, sorry, and I have broken the series a few times to touch on other stories. Still, though, man, am I wordy. But there's a lot to the story. So much happens, and I leave out a lot. So I don't know how those people run through it so quickly. Anyway, that's all to say. Thanks for listening, and please join me next week as we continue on with this war, because, spoilers, the most famous parts of the war haven't even happened yet. There's a certain horse we all know about. Hasn't even been thought up yet. We're getting to the real juicy stuff now. Gods seducing other gods and tricking them and basically drugging them. Man, so many things. As usual, if you like this podcast, please rate and review me on iTunes. I'd really love to bump myself up in the top 100 on iTunes, so help me out, won't you? Also, there have been a number of dink men who give me one star just because they didn't like that I have commentary, even though it's pretty damn clear from the description of this podcast that it's a little loose and has a lot of commentary. Anyway, go on there and give me five stars to offset them, okay? If you signed up for the newsletter, stay tuned. It's coming soon. If not, what are you doing? Jeez, go to my website, mystery.com, and sign up, because do you want to be the only one that isn't receiving fun updates from me and book recommendations and weird facts and other stuff I haven't even thought up yet? No, you don't. You know, follow me in places. Join the nerddom. You're all awesome and the best. I'm Liv, and as if I have to say it, I love this shit. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.